Hi everyone and welcome to the From the Hack podcast for March 12, 2019. It was another busy week in the world of curling with the Tim Hortons Briar, the World Wheelchair Championship, the Winter Universiad, and the USA Curling College Championship all taking place. My guests this week are BJ Newfeld, fresh off winning his first ever Briar title on the weekend, and two-time Briar and world champ Russ Howard, who covered the Briar as part of the TSN broadcast team. All that and more this week, but first, Canadian musician and non-curler extraordinaire Jimmy Reed plays us into the podcast. So before we get started, if you've ever wondered how they get those nice graphics into the ice at Grand Slams at the World Championships and at Nationals in Canada and the U.S., well, the answer is provided by Jedice, whose in-ice graphics from easy and textile logos to the world-famous Jedice Full House product are great ways for clubs to enhance the appearance of their ice and to generate much-needed additional sponsorship revenues. Easy and textile logos are the industry standard for high-quality logos and they're a snap to install. Meanwhile, Jedi's customizable full houses are a relatively new way for clubs to grow sponsorship revenues by offering maximum brand recognition to those sponsors. No one can match Jedi's design services, quick turnaround times, and product quality, which is why Jedi's products are valued by major organizations such as Curling Canada, the World Curling Federation, USA Curling, and Sportsnet, who trust Jedi's to provide the products they require for their high-profile events. Jedi's. They bring ice to life. Arnold Ashton's passion for curling, along with his natural propensity to explore new ways to better the game, led him to a whole new world of product design. As a result, all Ashton Curling Supplies products are designed with the curler in mind. Ashton's patented ultralight RDS technology makes it possible to change and customize their slider with any combination of sliding discs. With equal resistance on all sides, the circular design that guarantees a straight slide. These circles have also been designed larger and with stabilizing bars from the outer unit sole to produce the most stable straight sliding shoe the world has ever seen. Go to www.ashim.com for brooms, apparel, and revolutionary designed footwear. And if you're considering buying new curling shoes, you must consider the rotator sole. It's the sole of the future. From the Hacks recap of This Week in Curling is powered by The Curling Zone, your premier source for curling results from around the world. Visit us at www.curlingzone.com. Before getting into the Tim Hortons briar, let's touch on the other events of the weekend. At the Winter Universiade in Krasnoyarsk, Russia, Team Verana of Sweden defeated Team Kim of Korea 8-3 in the women's final, while Team Ramschfell of Norway defeated Team Sturme of Canada 6-5 in the men's final. At the World Wheelchair Championship in Stirling, Scotland, it was China defeating the hometown favourites from Scotland 5-2 in the final, while at the USA Curling College Championship in Wayland, Massachusetts, it was North Dakota State University with a 6-2 win over the Sunny Polytechnic Institute in the grand final. The event most Canadian curling fans were focused on last week was the 2019 Tim Hortons Briar in Brandon, Manitoba. There was a lot of good action all week, although there were fewer surprises in Brandon than there were at the Scotties in Sydney, Nova Scotia a few weeks ago. That said, Team Solberg of Yukon and Team Odishaw of New Brunswick were both more competitive than many had anticipated and made runs at the championship round before falling just short. It was a difficult week for the host team from Manitoba, skipped by Mike McCune, as they did qualify for the championship round, but were never able to truly find their groove. There was also a strong group of young teams at the 2019 Briar and Brandon, led by Team McDonald of Ontario and Team Myers of Saskatchewan, who both qualified for the championship round as well. There were no real surprises in the teams that reached the playoffs eventually, with Team Botcher defeating the defending champs Team Gushu in the 3-4 game, and then moving on to defeat Team Jacobs of Northern Ontario in the semifinal. 
The final was a battle of Alberta, with Team Cooey of Calgary facing the wildcards Team Botcher of Edmonton. Team Cooey took an early 2-0 lead, and it stayed that way until the 8th end when Botcher scored 2 to tie the game. Team Cooey seemed to give Team Botcher a score of 1 in the 9th so that they could keep the hammer in the 10th, although there have been conflicting stories about whether they wanted to give up the point and keep the hammer, or they simply missed the takeout in the 9th and took one instead of blanking. In the 10th end, it came down to a double takeout by Kevin Cooey with less than 10 seconds left on his team's shot clock. Not surprisingly, Cooey made the shot and his team won 4-3. It was a fourth Briar title for both Kevin Cooey and lead Ben Hebert, and a first career Briar for second Colton Flash, and for our first guest, the third on Team Cooey, BJ Newfeld. BJ, it's been some 36 hours now since the Briar final. Has it sunk in yet that you're a Briar champion? Yeah, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm not too sure, I guess. Um, I think at certain moments it sinks in a little bit. Um, you kind of think about the, the gravity of what, you know, we've accomplished as a team. You know, I don't think it's completely sunk in, but, yeah, there has been moments where, you know, you kind of catch yourself thinking, like, my goodness. The gravity of what we did was pretty pretty amazing, pretty huge, and then, you know, also to, to go through a briar undefeated, something that you maybe really never really dream about, but to do it and looking back on it, it's a, a pretty pretty crazy, amazing accomplishment, um, you know, that we'll, we'll always treasure for a long time. Let's go back to the final against Team Botcher for a few moments. You've played some important games in your career, including an Olympic trials final. How were the nerves heading into the briar final, and how long did it take you to find your groove? So, I mean, the nerves are pretty similar. Um, you know, it's one of those all-or-nothing games for for a Canadian championship. And, um, you know, really the hardest part probably is just the, the wait, you know, for the game to begin. Um, you know, the trials, too, I think it was a 7 p.m. final. And, you know, you just have so long to think about it. And, you know, all these different thoughts run through your head. And, you know, if you win, what is it going to look like? If you lose, what is it going to look like? Um, you know, you kind of you weigh all the emotions that you might feel and it's just you know it's it's not really uh not really a comfortable um place to be you know mindset wise so just the, the anticipation of the game starting maybe wears on you a little bit more than anything once the well once once you get to the rink you know you're able to just focus on on preparing and and getting into the right mindset for the game which which you know maybe isn't isn't too difficult, um, but yeah, just the the worst part for me is definitely anticipation. The butterflies are going all day, and it's you know a little bit difficult to to eat your meals, and and uh, you know that's that's definitely the, the the hard part. Once you get to the rink, it's it's pretty easy to to get focused up and 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 get ready to go. Um, but yeah, just the anticipation before the game is is definitely not something that 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 I love. It was obviously a close game the whole way in the final. You had a 2 nothing lead in the 8th, and then they almost manufactured a 3-ender out of nowhere in that 8th end. For those that were watching the game, had you even realized just how close that rock in the back 12 was to being a catcher, or did it surprise you a little bit? Yeah, no, we definitely realized it. You know, it's, just, it's one of those shots where the payoff is so so big. You know, if, if Kevin makes that where it doesn't touch that back one, you know, we're, we're lying three and then he's probably going to give that triple a go they were kind of it was a little bit in a line so he might have been able to make it um but if he misses it then it's a steal and you know essentially we've probably won the game at that point um that's a shot that kevin's going to make you know 95 percent of the time perfect um you know with a pretty short little run back there just missed the line call hit it a little bit thin and, and then yeah caught the one at the back but you're right though it was you know 
a millimeter from being really, really good and a millimeter from being disastrous because uh, obviously a three under there and eight would have been would have really given him a lot of control in the game. So, yeah, I think it was kind of we we didn't really have much else of a choice. I don't think um, it was definitely the easiest shot with the biggest payoff. So, so we took it on and and uh, yeah, thank goodness it didn't didn't jam in the back because uh, that might have changed the the result in the game. So curling Twitter was a buzz when your team apparently decided to give them one in the ninth and to take the hammer down one in the tenth. Has that been your standard approach throughout the season, or did their ability to manufacture that two-ender in the eighth impact your decision in the ninth to give them one and keep the hammer? Yeah, I mean, it depends on who you ask on our team. I think we go back and forth on this one. Um, you know, we talked about it. Um, I know Ben, I think, prefers to keep the lead. Um, going into the last end, I think for myself, I probably prefer to be one down. Um, you know, we've had good success with it, you know, and then I just like having our skip throw in the last rock. Um, it is the, the worst feeling in the world watching the other skip, you know, make a good shot against you to win a game, um, especially when, you know, you have one of the best that ever throw the last rock um, on your team. It just, you know, we play a decent end. He's probably always going to have some sort of a shot to win. And as long as Kev has some sort of a shot, you know, his chances of making it are pretty good. He has a flair for the dramatic there at the end, um, you know, as he put on display there in that last game. So, I mean, we've had good success being being one down with. I just don't think that with the five-rock rule, the, the stats probably, probably just don't really have a good uh, sample base yet as to what, what the right play is there. Um, I think in four rock definitely it's probably better to be one up, but in the five rock it just seems like you know if you want lots of rocks to, in play in the last stand, that's what's going to happen, and you know you're always going to have a chance uh, to get your deuce there to win a game. So I mean we were we were we, I think we were four and zero with the Briar being being down playing the last end. So for us I think I think it's over the last you know few spiels in the year it's probably going to be a decision that we probably lean towards. Um, being one down with as opposed to, to one up. In the long list of unbelievable takeouts, raises, and in-offs that Kevin Cooey has made in his career, the final rock in the Briar Final was certainly not the hardest one, but it was still a tricky shot in a pressure-filled moment. As it was coming down the ice, how close did you think it was, and was there a moment where you were concerned that it might miss? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you know, I, I got Benny on it right away out of uh, Kev's hand, and, and, you know, probably at about... Just past the hog line, the close hog line, I, I actually thought we were probably going to be hitting it too thick. But just his weight was just so perfect, you know, maybe even a little bit on the downside. So, you know, I've watched the replay a couple of times. It hits the rock, and it almost looks like it just curls a little bit towards the the back one, which I think helped it out a little. And then just because it didn't have a lot of weight or a lot of energy after it hit the first rock, you know, the shooter easily stayed. I just I thought at the, the top of the house our shooter was probably going to going to spin off too far um so yeah i i had i had thought top of the house i thought we had missed it and that's probably why you know i had the reaction that i did because i just um went from thinking oh man we've missed this i hope it stays around so that we can you know go to the extra to you know my goodness that we're lying too and we won the game so so yeah i mean it was a it was a tricky shot but you know kev just uh you know, the veteran that he is, he just threw the perfect weight um, to give him the most amount of leeway there. Yeah, great shot and and just a cool reaction by, by the whole team. 
Now, I realize that you've watched and played against uh, Kevin for years and seen him make all types of shots, but how much more fun is it to be on Kevin Cooey's team as opposed to being on the other side when he makes one of those hero shots to win games like he did two or three times in Brandon, including on that last rock in the final? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's awesome. I mean, being on the on the losing end of of Kevin making, you know, great shots to win games is, is not a fun experience. Um, you know, he just he gets so up for the briar. I mean... He just, he's able to get into his own, unlike I think I've ever seen before for, for an event. He loves it. He relishes it. Um, you know, he gets into his, his happy place, so to speak, I guess. He gets quiet and, you know, doesn't say much. And when that's happening, it's a, it's a good sign because that just means that he's, you know, he's getting honed in, focused in. And, and uh, you know, he just, he doesn't let anything, doesn't let anything or any moment get past him which is such a hard thing to do when you're in these big moments and I think that's why you know some people struggle with them is you know you play these big games and 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 once they're done you almost kind of look back and you don't even realize you know what just happened you know you kind of you get out of the moment and he's just unbelievable at staying in the moment um and uh yeah and then his execution is is second to none so super impressive and I'm just you know feel fortunate that you know, I'm able to be a part of his team and, and, uh, yeah, being on the, on the winning side of, of the big shots as opposed to the losing side. Most elite Canadian curlers will tell you that aside from going to the Olympics, winning the Briar is a top thing on their bucket list. Uh, your struggles to even reach the Briar earlier in your career have been well documented. Did you feel a weight come off your shoulders after finally winning the big prize? And I ask that because when the cameras panned in your direction uh, immediately following the game while you were with your family for a few moments, uh, it certainly looked like you were relieved and letting it all out, as it were. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 mean, I think that reaction is maybe more um, because of just realizing how how big the briar is and and what it means to you know so many different people maybe more so than than a weight off my shoulders um you know i like i i think that you know my perspective on on my you know the future i feel like i'm you know i'm gonna get some chances and i didn't want to i didn't want to put a focus on having to to win the briar and having to win it now um you know i think you know, having that thought in your head is going to just makes it more difficult to to, to play free and lose. Um, but just to be able to, to win that championship and, you know, what it's meant to, to my family and, and, you know, my dad winning it and then, you know, having my own family now, you know, it's just super cool to be able to, to win a championship like that and then just be able to share it with them, you know. So that's, that's, the emotion coming out there at the end is definitely driven from, the importance of the championship, what it means to everybody, and and just being able to uh, accomplish a goal that I've had for for a long time. You know, ever since I watched my dad win it in 1992, I definitely, you know, said to myself as a young kid, like I want to, I want to do that. I want to, I want to be a part of that that history. So, so that's definitely the emotion pouring out there. It was definitely because of that. How strange was it to win the Briar in Manitoba, but without having that Buffalo on the back of your jersey? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's definitely, you know, strange how, how things, you know, work out. You know, I never dreamt about, I mean, every time I dreamt about winning a briar, it was definitely with, with uh, the intentions of having the buffalo on my back. Um, you know, I never envisioned playing for any other province. Um, but just the way that the curling has gone, um, you know, guys are just trying to make teams to to get to the Olympics, essentially. Um, so, 
you know, pretty much most teams have somebody from from another province on their on their team. Um, so yeah, it was a little bit strange, you know, beating Brandon. You know, maybe made it even a little bit more strange. Um, but it was pretty cool. It was really good to me. You know, pregame intros. I felt like you know I got a bit of a bigger applause than anybody else, and that was pretty cool. I was a little bit uh, unsure of how that was going to go. So so the support was amazing. Um, you know, I could feel. You know, once we were in the playoffs, I could I could tell that you know the crowd was was rallying behind our team. You know, being probably for the reason that you know I'm still still living in Winnipeg full time, still consider myself a Manitoban. So no, it was a it was pretty cool. Um, you know, aside from from not having the buff on my back, I just I sure felt like I had the support from the province. Much was made during different parts of the week uh, in Brandon about your team having to grind more than expected to win some of your games. Did it ever feel like that much of a grind to you, or was it just a perception that uh, people had while watching your team uh, not necessarily dominate all the games as much as uh, we may have expected you to? Yeah, I would say we kind of our week kind of got broken up. You know, our first part of the week was really, really good. And then I would say our middle part, we struggled a little bit. Um, and then we kind of, you know, near the end of the championship round, we started to ramp it back up again. And then in the playoffs, I thought we really found our groove. But, yeah, I mean, it's 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 good to run into those those issues, you know, early on in the week or midway through the week. It just kind of, you know, kind of resets your focus or, um, you know, you just you realize it's not going to be easy. Um, you're going to have you know, tough breaks out there. So, you know, bad stuff's going to happen and, and some, some of the things that happen aren't going to be in your control. Um, and then you just, you know, it, it really sets you up to prepare and and uh, deal with those things when they do happen. And then when it does happen later on in the week, you know, you're, you're a little bit more ready for it. You know, I, I think that there's something to be said to having some struggles early on or midway through and just trying to get better as the week goes on as opposed to, you know, coming out firing out of the gate and then all of a sudden later on in the week you've got some adversity and then you haven't had to deal with any yet and it's maybe a little bit more difficult to get refocused up and um, and get back on track. So, you know, a long week like this, you're gonna have, those things are going to happen. Um, you know, just good teams find a way to, to deal with it, not let it, not let it be a complete roadblock. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely, I mean, we gave up that steal of three to New Brunswick, and, you know, it was a, you know, that was a, maybe a bit of a turning point in the week, you know, where you could have gone one way or, or another way, and we chose to, you know, really dig deep and play a good back half, get back into the game and, and, and win it, and then, you know, from there on, you kind of feel like you stole one, and, you know, and then you're, you know, you're not taking anything for granted at that point, so, yeah, I mean, you're going to have these struggles, and it's just a matter of dealing with them appropriately. And finally, BJ, I realize that you've worn the Maple Leaf on your back earlier this season at a Curling World Cup event in China, but the World Championships are a whole different animal, and you'll be playing in front of a home crowd in Lethbridge, Alberta. How excited are you for the World Championships to start? Uh, I'm just I'm elated. I'm so pumped to be to be able to represent Canada. You know, I've I've never never won a Canadian championship, so that's something that I've dreamt about. So I'm just absolutely honored and privileged to to be able to to be a part of Team Canada and, and to have it in Canada is definitely a bonus. It's going to be nice. It's going to be easy for all our families to get to and, and enjoy the experience with us. I know Kevin and all his previous worlds have been outside of Canada, so I know he's he's super excited to uh, to represent Canada in Canada and, and when we all are. Um, so, yeah, we're pumped. Cannot wait to, to get over to Lethbridge and, and just enjoy the whole week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
Before we move on to our final guest of the week, I wanted to remind you that From the Hack is part of the Curling Podcast Network, along with the Two Girls in the Game podcast and the Curling Legends podcast. If you haven't subscribed for those two podcasts yet, you should really check them out. And our final guest this week is two-time Briar and two-time world champion Russ Howard, who provided his expertise yet again as a member of the TSN broadcast team at this year's Briar and Brandon. Russ, let's start off with the Briar final between Team Botcher and Team Cooey. For the first half of the game, it looked like a flashback to the days where there was no three or four or five rock rule in play with Alberta leading 2 nothing heading into the eighth end. You've been through all this before, having played in several Briar finals winning twice. How long does it take for teams to typically get over the early jitters and find their groove in a game as important as a Briar final? Well, I think uh, you saw the first end. You can tell it was a Briar final because both teams uh, you know, hit everything at sight. Uh, I, I would say it's that first just two shots kind of thing, you know, like uh, you hate to say it, you got to play one end to get the nerves out, but I think individually, you, you, you know, you throw that first one, you're all amped up, and uh, if it's a wide open hit, it's no big deal, but if if you are if you get the chance to throw a draw and you make it, then you're kind of like, okay, I'm fine, you know, way to go kind of thing. Uh, so I, I think both teams were just, uh, did that on purpose, you know, just to, just to get the jitters out. I don't care whether you're Kevin Cooey or botcher both those guys are extremely calm but uh that's that's on the inside <laughs> or the outside i should say you're skipping ahead to the tail end of the game now russ uh, i know it's the five rock rule and i know he's kevin cooey but how surprised were you that alberta chose to give up one in the ninth to be one down with hammer in a briar final when team botcher their opponents had been so stingy all week giving up fewer multiple scores than any other team in the field well you know i don't think they did I don't think they did. I think we were talking about it, and Cheryl was going and talking on about, uh, I think he's going to give it up and this and that. And then if you watch the shot about halfway down, uh, Kevin says, oh, I missed it. Or he, he made some reference that it's not going to finish. Or he, he was he was upset that he didn't know that. He he almost knows that. He, like if he was if he was going to give up a single, I think he would have thrown Peel there. And he just he just threw his normal control weight, and I, I, I honestly believe he was trying to hit the stage. He just missed it. He's just a hair wide. I don't remember hearing Cooey saying that during that shot, but perhaps he did. I, I mean, I, for one, like being one up, but then again, I've never played in the Briar final. You might want to confirm it, but I'm absolutely convinced uh, he was, and, and I was, uh, Cheryl and I differ on that one a little bit. She, she likes to be one down and score two coming home, and I, I'm with you. Uh, how often are you going to get a two in Brendan Botcher? Um, and how often are you going to get a two in Kevin Cooey? So... Um, Look what he had to do to get a two. He had to make a perfect hit and roll. He had to get a miss at a botcher, and he had to make a hero double. So, um, no, I, I'm positive he was trying to hit and stay. Now, speaking of Team Cooey, how surprised were you that that team was able to gel so quickly as a group, winning the Briar in their first season together, when it often takes teams a year to a year and a half before they find their groove as a new lineup? That's a great question. I'm very surprised, to be honest, and nothing against the talent. I think I think it, memory serves me. They won in China or something the very first week ever, and they never won another bond for the rest of the year. I, I think I, I might have to double check that one yeah, too. I think, but, I think that's pretty close. Yeah. So, and now they beat Botcher in the uh, semifinal of the province, and uh, then Ackerman or um, Appleman. But um, other than that, it kind of looked like a working project process, even though they'd won a lot of money. They could, you know, they. They kept qualifying and coming second, third, fourth. But, yeah, if you said to me, are they the favorites, I'd say no. Uh, but uh, I always, anytime I'm betting on a pool, I am I rarely bet against Cooey because he himself just makes so many shots. And, you know, when the, 
the last and last rock of most important thrower is that good uh you knew he was going to be close uh but i think the the other thing that people are forgetting is uh i think bj newfeld we tried to touch on it in the um broadcast bj and uh kevin are almost the same like the same personality they're low key there's no uh no drama there's no i have to be right in the strategy call it's just like bj will say well yeah, I guess we could do that, but uh, did you think of this? And he goes, yeah, but I want to do that. Okay, fine. What we do you want? Bang. Like the, it's just seamless, the two of them. And uh, Benny's Benny. He's, you know, one of the best leads ever. And then uh, I think Colton's brushing uh, made a difference. And uh, what surprised me in the playoffs was Colton himself. I knew BJ would play well. I played against him. He's, he's for real. He's, he's the real deal. Uh, I think he was just getting a little stale with Mike. He, uh, but Colton, you're thinking, oh my God, he's playing with the great Kevin Cooey. Uh, ben Hebert's been in two Olympics. Uh, that was the weak link in the chain that I guessed at, and uh, he he played fantastic. Have you ever seen an important game be impacted the way the three versus four game was when Brad Gushu's last rock picked in the second end to go from what likely would have been a two nothing lead for Team Canada to a one nothing deficit? Not very often. Uh, the only uh, the flashback I had when that happened was um, we were playing Kevin Martin in the semifinal uh, years back. I want to say '92, and uh, I made a beauty through a small port for three, and they called me on a hog line. Uh, back before there were hog line rocks, you know, the the uh, the uh, eye on the hog rocks, and uh, you know it was devastating. It was a four point. It was it won, I think we, I want to say we were one up at the time, something like that, and. If we make the shot, the game's over. And now I'm going to the Briar final, and all of a sudden they call me in a hog line. And we managed to win the game, so it's not etched in your brain. <laughs> but uh, same type of thing. It, it, so I, all I'm getting at is the, the emotions that Team Gushu had to go through to overcome that. It's not easy. You feel like you're, you know, um, you've had some bad luck, and is it going to even out? And, uh, it definitely made a big difference in that game. Now everybody says, well, it was tied. It was tied up. 2-2, who cares, but it would have been 3-1, I believe. Uh, he would have been 2-up, correct? If memory serves, it would have put Team Gushu up 2 nothing, and instead they were down one nothing. so it was a three-point swing. Right, so that's huge, because you, you know, Gushu's, he's either going to go up one or up two, I'm kind of fuzzy, but if he's going up two, now you've got eight ends to beat Brad Gushu by three. So, you know, it's it's a lot. It's You don't, how often, what are the odds of beating Brad Gushu in an eight-end game by three. You know, you got to figure those things in, too. So I I know it's part of the game, and uh, it was tied later, and Botcher probably played him played better than they did down the stretch, but obviously that had to be a bit of a turning point. Now, Team Jacobs of Northern Ontario has been dominant in the round robin over the past four or five Briars, uh, but always seem to come up short in the playoffs. Do you think it might even be better for them to get tested earlier in the week, perhaps forcing them to grind a little bit more before the playoffs to get them battle-ready, for lack of a better term? Because, you know, they simply dominated the early part of the schedule uh, this year, and then when it came to the tail end of the championship round in the playoffs, it seemed to get a lot more difficult for them, even though they played well in those games. Well, yes and no. I think I think uh, you lose one early, you might lose two early. You, you know, you you get a lot of pressure under that way. I think I think what hurt them is they were so dominant that maybe in that ninth, tenth, and later in the week they weren't they weren't used to the ice conditions. You know how the ice gets a little softer down the middle, or you know you might be uh, inside out might get a little faster. You they almost didn't get any of that practice, 
it, this particular year, I was so impressed with those guys. I, I would say other years, uh, they, they kind of play with emotion like I did, so I love that. Uh, but I think it wears you out because I've been through that. I, I remember not finishing priors off because I was just dead exhausted. So I thought this year emotionally they were incredible, and uh, I, I think they're the best team there. I really do, but by the slimmest of margins. You know, Cooey, Botcher, the last four, Gushu, the last four. I said to Vic Roeder, I've seen teams on fire before, but I've never seen four on fire, and I, I that's the way I would categorize that. I thought, you know, Gushu went 9-2, and two, lost two games by an inch. Jacobs went 9-2 and two and lost two games by a hair, by a fraction. Uh, Botcher was the same thing. You know, he lost three games. He lost the three guys I'm talking about. And they're all good games. Uh, you, you, you know, you'd, you'd lose a lot of money picking the favorite in those four because uh, they, they're all that close in, in one, any game. And in, in, um, in the one-two game, Jacobs made a couple strategy errors. Uh, he gave up a deuce, I believe, to Cooey, and then he, he tried to get it all back, and they played an incredible end. And uh, he kind of got greedy and tried for a four, in my humble opinion. And uh, they called one dumb shot and BJ made a great one and Kevin made a great one. All of a sudden he's looking at three and he, they overswept it, ticked the garden, it's five nothing. And then after that, he didn't make a shot because he was trying all these hero shots. So that game I would throw throw that out. And then the game he lost to a botcher, I thought he curled him. He just, the last end, same thing. I thought he, he could have played a little uh, short two-inch run back and botcher can't get two. And it was almost like he was trying to steal. If I could criticize them, there's a couple of calls I didn't agree with, but uh, other than that, I thought they were the best team all week. And even even at the end, I thought they outcurled Botcher. Aside from Team Botcher, uh, we saw a few good young teams at the Briars, such as Team McDonald of Ontario, Team Thompson of uh, Nova Scotia, and Team Myers of Saskatchewan. How excited are you as a veteran of Canadian curling when you see young teams and players performing so well on the big stage? Oh my God! I think that excitement's the right word. That's I, I've got so much passion for this sport, and what's bugged me the last uh, five six years are the pros and the amateurs, and the pros are just so good as you witnessed the final four, and there's no denying those four. If you played it again next week, they'd make the playoffs. But for once in a for, in a long time in recent memory, the the Joes and gave the pros the all they could handle. And, uh, you know, the Nova Scotia kids are going to get much better. Thompson, he showed up sick at the start of the week. Ontario's the real deal. They're, uh, they're the Bobby Jones of the amateurs. They, uh, <laughs> they're, uh, they're capable of uh, making the playoffs their second time around for sure. And then you never know in a sudden death game. Uh, and uh, Kurt Myers uh, really, really, uh, I watched him at the, I coached against him at the Saskatchewan playdowns with my son. And, he really impressed me, and they're very businesslike and uh, could probably play a little more aggressively and put some pressure on the top dogs. But he was another team that was, you know, within inches of beating all the pros. I, I, I think that's wonderful for the future of the Briar. The teams representing New Brunswick and Yukon as examples basically played no events together on tour this season and then got together for provincials where they qualified for the Briar. Despite their lack of games this season, they did well at the Briar. I know it's not always easy because of distance and cost, but do you think that teams with Briar aspirations should try to get to one or two tour events each season to give them those reps and perhaps give them a better chance at qualifying for the championship round at the Briar? Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. Now, is, you know, is um, Terry Odishaw going to win the Briar? Probably not. But 
as the week went along, their percentages got higher and higher and higher. They took Gushu had to make a really good shot to beat him. He was uh, one down with hammer playing Cooey. You know, like it, it's it's amazing. And I, I think the five rock rule is, uh, believe it or not, giving those type of teams a better chance. Their finesse is good, so they're not afraid of the rocks in play. They're never going to out-hit Kevin Cooey. But Cooey gets up a couple, and he can't put them away with the five rock rule. It's, it's, it's very difficult for the team that's winning to keep winning with the five rock rule because the team that's down has so many more opportunities now to kind of catch up. Now, if they don't catch up, they could, they could lose by 30. But uh, back when it was a little simpler, it was tough to, tough to generate those steals and deuces with, uh, with uh, less uh, rocks and plug. But you're right. They, but playing in the World Curling Crew is half the battle because if they go to the uh, Stu Cells in Toronto or something, it's still not replicating the ice surface you're going to get at the briar. Somehow you got to be able to train on that same almost exact type of surface with those same rocks. And I, it's funny you'd say this because I'm sitting in the Winnipeg airport and the uh, Newfoundland skip comes up to me and he says, I just got to tell you, he said, you've been barking on TV about, it's just the way he said it in, in, in Newfoundland accent. He said, you've been barking on TV for 10 years about these teams from the east don't realize how different the rocks and the ice are and he said I called bullshit all those years he said now that I'm here I realize what you're talking about he said to me my ice, my he said Russ is crazy my ice is really good that we play on in the Valley Haley or wherever the club he curls at he says I didn't realize till I got here and he said it was quite an eye-opener the rocks are so lively the um, you know they, they, they're so sharp you get so much late curl it's it's hard to throw a guard because it over curls and then you, you've got to he said, we all changed our releases partway through the week trying to figure it out. And it's difficult to make a delivery change and be confident about it in the midst of the briar. Now that he knows what he knows, he can go home and work on that release, come back the next year a little better, a little better prepared. And finally, Russ, one of the reasons that Kevin Cooey was so excited following the Briar Final is that this will be the first time in his four trips to Worlds that he will play in front of a Canadian crowd. You twice represented Canada at the World Championship, uh, one in Canada and another time in Switzerland. Can you perhaps share how drastic the difference was between playing in Europe and then playing as the home team in Canada, winning both the times, by the way? Well, I watched Kevin Martin in China when he... Uh when he represented us and you know there's like a 9,000 seat building and there was like 45 people there uh the atmosphere is not there they're not knowledgeable to the, the most part um Cooey's at this stage in his career that it, it's only the briars and the olympics that fire him up you know and the world championships type thing and uh it, this would be the best thing that happened to kevin Cooey. It's, it'll it'll he'll be the crowds behind him you know he walks out and they announce Canada and the place goes crazy and they're knowledgeable and uh, we'll have bigger crowds because Kevin's uh, in it, I believe, because he's basically local, Alberta. Um, it, 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 I think it's fantastic and, and it's just a totally different atmosphere. Our, our Olympics in Trio Italy, I remember playing Italy and uh, they had a wide open hit the blank. They nosed it and it's like they got a standing ovation. <laughs> They thought he, they're up one nothing in Canada. They didn't realize it was actually an error. Uh, so it, that makes a difference to a guy like Cooey because he's not that he needs to be motivated. Don't get me wrong, but he anything that can pump him up is a good thing, and this will.
And that does it for the From the Hack podcast for March 12, 2019. A big thank you to each of our guests and to all of you for listening. I'm Frank Rock, and this is From the Hack.